I'm Sage. And I'm William. And this is Half Half As Well, Well, where we promise Tolkien lore half as much as you should like. Explained half as well as you deserve. Okay, it's finally here, the Rings of Power show. Yeah, we've read through all the major books and uh, prep for the show, and uh, we're finally here. Uh, Quick note before we start, we've just moved... Uh, so we're in a new space. We haven't really gotten a recording space set up yet. So you might hear a rooster in the background or some cars passing by, but we're just dealing with too many things to edit all of those things out this week. So, (laughs) yeah. So the Rings of Power debuted on Thursday, September 1st with two episodes. Yeah. The Shadow of the Past and Adrift. And as we've mentioned before, this show is is about the Second Age. Uh, and in last episode, you kind of set out some criteria that we, we really wanted to be looking for in this show. Right. Tolkien in his letters kind of lays out the three major themes of the Second Age. There is the lingering of the elves in Middle-earth. There is the rise of Sauron to a new Dark Lord. And there's the story of Numenor. Which we haven't gotten to yet, but um, but yeah, so that's kind of the lens through which we're viewing all of uh, the stuff because there's not a whole lot written about the Second Age like we've discussed before, and there's only kind of outlines, and so the showrunners to adapt it, period, kind of have to make up stuff to flesh it out. So we're kind of like looking at these things and uh, seeing do they contribute to those three themes? Sure, and and while that's like the like. I guess the most basic lens we're looking at this through, of course, like we have our likes and dislikes, which we're going to talk about extensively. But I think that's a good, that's a good rubric for, is this a successful adaptation of the second age? Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can like look at this and say, oh, they made up stuff. This is a bad adaptation because I mean, otherwise it just sounds like you don't want this adaptation at all all. (laughs) or you don't understand that there's not really a lot to work off of here. Right. Um, even if they had the rights to the Silmarillion and yeah. Unfinished Tales, there's still just basically historical outlines of the major events that happened. Um, and to actually go into detail, there are no details. Right. So. Exactly. So, yeah, we we're just going to discuss it and kind of get into, you know, what we liked, what we didn't like. Uh, any theories or. Uh, expectations. Expectations. So, yeah, big spoiler alert. If you haven't watched the shows and you're planning to and you don't want to be spoiled on anything don't listen to this episode and we might also talk about some of the lore from the book so if you haven't read again and you don't want to be spoiled for anything that might happen later there's a little warning there i'll also just say like if you're looking for a um like a full-throated support of this show this is also just not the podcast for you it's not to say that it we're just going to be negative at all about it. It might sound like that, honestly, because um, there's just so many details to pick apart. But uh, we don't have this podcast to just kind of applaud things, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, um, I think as long as we're being you know as fair as we can to the show, there's nothing wrong with criticism. Uh, I think anyone that has listened to this podcast knows you're a bit of a hater. I'm a total hater. Um, but it, that doesn't mean... I, I guess I can talk... The things I talk the most negatively about are also usually the things I like the most, you know? Or Yeah, it, it, I mean, I'm the same way. Yeah. Like, if I'm really laying into something, it's because I really uh, I really think there's a lot of potential. Right, exactly. Um, I, I care about the ideals that are, are presented in a work, and that's yeah. why I, I get so... 
frustrated. Yeah, if it's something is just um, total utter garbage, I'm like, uh, okay, I, ignore sure, it. Like, garbage. why I'm not going to talk about yeah. it. It's just, uh, so yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to start off with talking about the things we liked, our pros, and then we're going to uh, transition into what we didn't like. Sure. So um, first, I just kind of want to go through that rubric really quickly and say, uh, yeah, I think so far, this is a successful adaptation of the second age. Um, that first theme of the elves lingering in Middle Earth is shown very clearly through the character of Galadriel. Sure. And I do have some complaints about that aspect that we will get to uh, <laughs> yeah, later. Yeah, sure. But uh, yeah, at least with Galadriel, uh, we really do see this clear, you know, she has unfinished business in Middle Earth. Absolutely. And um, she wants to stick around. And when I first read The Silmarillion and then went and back and reread uh, The Lord of the Rings, whenever I got to the Galadriel chapters where she's talking to Frodo and talking about, you know, how she is, um, you know, seeing the eye of Sauron in her mm-hmm. mirror and she is like throughout the ages in Lothlorien defied him. Um, I'm, I always wish that they went more into her brother's death. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this isn't just about Middle Earth for her. This is very personal. Um, so I really appreciate that they're getting into that here. Um, yeah, it's like basically her entire motivation at the beginning of this show. Yeah, and I, I feel like she it's going to be about her becoming more than just about vengeance. But I, I think this is pretty in keeping with her character. Uh, if you remember when we talked about Unfinished Tales, there were versions where... Th- one of the major reasons she comes to Middle Earth is due to the kinslaying, and she wants to get revenge on Feanor mm-hmm. and thwart him in yeah. all ways she can. So, if that's the reason she wants to like leave Valinor and come to Middle Earth, um, just over the killing of like her mother's people, I totally imagine that the death of her brother right. would lead to her really wanting to track down and. Uh, thwart or destroy Sauron. Right, yeah. So I, I think th- at all points, I, I really enjoy the characterization of Galadriel. I think uh, her lines are good. I mm-hmm. think the actress is phenomenal. Um, oh, she's, I think, my favorite uh, actor of like the whole series. So yeah. Far. Um, she just seems really in character and very believably Galadriel. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and from a lore perspective as well, just the idea that she's the one perceiving this evil and it's all coming from a single source that lines up with what we know of her character. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, with her, we get a, a, a very prime example of a Noldorian elf and their connection to Middle Earth and, and not wanting to, to leave and, and, and go join the Valar. Yeah, I think there's a... A line about how it said they didn't want to leave the lands that they had uh, suffered and fought so sure. long. And, 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 you know, we see that with her conversation with Elrond. She's like, what am I supposed to do with all this, like, pain that, you know... Yeah. Like, am even I just it... supposed to go and live in beauty and song and, yeah. you know... Uh... Yeah, she's like, the, the songs that will mock the pain inside of me. And yeah. um, she's unconvinced by the idea that all of those things are going to be healed in Valinor or you know maybe she knows they'll be healed and and doesn't think that that's the path for her yeah and speaking of some of those lines that she was saying I do want to say one thing I really loved is the dialogue feels so uh Tolkienian yeah uh, in a way that the Peter Jackson movies didn't that was one of my big complaints they didn't actually use a whole lot of Tolkien's dialogue. Mm-hmm. And they had a whole book to go off of. Sure. <laughs> and here there's like no dialogue to go off of from the books. But like it somehow sounds more like Tolkien. 
Especially with the elves, um, I, I know that there were some complaints about like, oh, they're speaking in riddles and, and they kind of have this like mythological way of speaking. That's how the elves speak no, I know. in it's... the text. So um, that feels very real to the book. Yeah, it feels very familiar, uh, like the speaking in Proverbs kind of. Mm-hmm. And um, the showrunners have said that they've really laid out different patterns of speech for different races of Middle Earth. And I, I really appreciate that kind of care. Um, that they've taken because it does give the elves just a little bit more of that higher speech that you would expect from them. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that I do appreciate about the portrayal of the elves in this show is that we see multiple elf strongholds uh, throughout Middle Earth. I mean, by the time of Lord of the Rings, like, yeah, the elves are, there are fewer of them in Middle Earth. So you're seeing fewer places, but I like that we're getting this look at, no, there there were a lot of different places that elves were and, and held power and had, you know, kingdoms. Yeah, well, yeah, Rivendell hasn't been founded yet, mm-hmm. and Lothlorien hasn't been founded yet. So right now, our main kingdoms are Lindun and Aragion, yeah. ruled by Gil-galad and Celebrimbor, who right. are elf lords we don't really hear a lot about yeah. um, later, because, spoilers, they die. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Before we move on, like my last note on the elves, what I really liked, uh, the opening scene with Finrod talking to Galadriel and the whole- While they're in Valinor. And the whole like her thing with the ship. Mm -hmm. I adored that whole sequence. You know, I know with some of the rites, they can't really show maybe the kin slaying and the burning of the ships, but uh, Galadriel making a little swan ship and then- I'm assuming her cousins and maybe the sons of Feanor sinking her ship, uh, I thought was really interesting. And I had even noticed that out of all those elves, there's one who's a redhead. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, so is that Mithras? Right. Um, And then the one who's being really shitty, I'm like, well, that's got to be Kelegorm. So, yeah, yeah, I really like that. And then his whole conversation, her whole conversation with Finrod, um, I think so far he's like my favorite I mean, he's my favorite elf from the books, but I think they <laughs> translated him really well, like his warmth, uh, his wisdom, and he just feels the most like an elf to me. Sure. Uh, we'll get into some of our complaints later, yeah. but um, I, even though he's one of these short-haired elves that I'm not crazy about that decision, I I think he just he just felt like an ethereal elf definitely, person. So definitely. I, I really liked that. Um, yeah, totally. I, I, I agree with and that. And I, I think he was too brief in this show. I, I, I want more bummer. flashbacks with Finrod. Definitely. Um, that would that would be great if there were more flashbacks to that. If they ever get that. the rights to do a Silmarillion spinoff, I mean, get that actor. Sure. Please. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to the second part of the rubric that actually happens in these two episodes. It's not even that it, it, it happens. But it's it's clear that it's happening. It's building up to the return and rise of Sauron. Right. Um, with this return of evil to Middle-earth. So we see this happening all over. On the part of the Harfoots, we see that things are, are different. The stars are different. The skies are strange. There are travelers coming by at a, at a time that they normally wouldn't be coming by. The Harfoots are are aware that something's changing. We see this kind of yeah. scary beast at the berry patch that it, it seems out of place in their kind of pastoral yeah. wonderland. And I, I love how in touch they are with nature, yeah. that they can notice these things. Right. I think that's a really cool little detail. Um, and, you know, and I I like how they're hiding from everybody. I think right. that's pretty neat. But yeah. um, 
Yeah, I, I really appreciate how we see this from multiple storylines. We mm-hmm. see with the Southland story, uh, the the cows being poisoned, and, and they poisoned talk about parts the, of grass, the pig, you know, getting mm-hmm. poisoned. Um, with and Lindon, uh, Gilgalad notices the falling leaves of the Mallorn tree and how it has this corruption to it. Um, and then, like everything you said with the Harfoots, they're noticing things are up. And so, yeah, you're kind of really getting this idea that's just kind of in the background at first. And even like yeah. Theo's just like, ah, oh, the, the mice were going crazy last night, right. which we later find out were orcs. But I did kind of like this idea that like all the animals of Middle Earth are picking up on something. I find that pretty uh, just a cool way to go about showing that people are realizing in Middle Earth something's off. Right. Whatever peace that they've had is is starting to wane. Yeah, these are the first signs of the end of that. Um, yeah, so we, we get a good idea that, yeah, Sauron is returning, uh, which is, of course, going to be the main conflict of this show. Yeah. Um, and rightfully so. The third part is the Numenorians, and, and we haven't really gotten to that part yet. Yeah, we just saw a Numenorian ship pull up at the end um, to rescue Galadriel and Halbrand. And I'm sure we'll get more into that in the next yeah. few episodes. Um, we've seen plenty of that in the trailers. Yeah, that's so. like a confirmed part of the show. So I think, you know, if we're just going by that rubric, great job. Yeah, I mean, that this is about, you know, the level I was expecting to see things that I recognize from Tolkien is just kind of these major themes playing out a little bit. Before we move on to some of our complaints, let's talk about things that we really liked that aren't necessarily within that rubric. So for me, that's the Harfoots. Um, totally unnecessary to be in this show. Honestly, the most delightful part of this show. I know. I This was the part I was dreading kind of the most. I just don't really feel they're necessary in a second age storyline. Sure. And... Uh, you know, of course, a lot of people have made a lot of big deal that they don't really pop up in the histories until the middle of the Third Age. But Tolkien does write in the prologue to the Lord of the Rings that the Hobbit's history begins back in the Elder Days, which is the right. First Age. Yeah. Um, and he makes a note that they just stayed out of the histories of elves and men because they were mainly concerned with themselves. Right. Um, so that's why there are no Hobbits in the Silmarillion, even though they existed in the east of Middle Earth. And uh, there's actually an explanation for this in in the show. Uh, the Nori, who is kind of the main Harfoot that we follow, uh, a young girl who is is trying to be more adventurous than yeah. her her family is. Maybe um, an ancestor of the Tooks. Yeah. You know? Well, she's a Brandyfoot. Is her last name? Yeah, which calls to mind the Brandy Brandy Bucks. Yeah. yeah. Her mother says, like, we're not like these other races, you know, who have things to take care of and manage. We're just like ripples in the stream, you know, of, of yeah, time. Yeah, we're just trying to live our best life out here. Yeah, it's it's for us to exist within nature and, like, not draw attention to ourselves, not adventure out. We are just like these nomadic hunter-gatherer, you know, semi-nomadic, you know, yeah. groups that set up camp at different points in the year. Yeah, I just, I loved it. I, I thought it was a really um, realistic kind of portrayal of a pre-Hobbit civilization or, yeah. or society. Kind of hits all of the, the warm and fuzzy feelings that Hobbits do without being just like watching Hobbits. No, I know. And uh, I don't know. I might have my Tolkien card revoked, but I'm actually not 
that crazy about hobbits. Like, I definitely think they're an integral part of, you know, the Lord of the Rings. And I, I love The Hobbit, the, the, the book. And I, I think they're an amazing invention of Tolkien's. But in the larger scope of his world, I'm much more interested in elves and men. I almost agree with you. But when I'm looking at these books, I'm also saying which is the best written book. And hands down, it is The Hobbit. Just from a literary perspective, I love Hobbits. Um, well, and yeah. just from every perspective, I love Hobbits. But I, I think that the elves and men stuff flies really close to the sun sometimes. So it's not personally my favorite. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm not trying to say, like, I don't like Hobbits at all. I just like, again, I was kind of feeling like at first, is this just going to be really shoehorned into this plot? And... <laughs> Well, compared to some of my other complaints, though, like I do think this is the most consistent storyline oh, and like best yeah. written, and um, it doesn't take me out of the story as much as I thought it would, and it actually has me more engaged. And I, I don't blame you for feeling that way about Hobbits. I'll tell you why you feel that way about Hobbits. It's because they took one book and turned it into three movies that were all terrible. That's yeah. that's why that's like a really good reason to be suspicious of the inclusion of Hobbits in a story that they don't belong in. Yeah, and another thing that I think where my feelings for that come from is the fact that after the success of The Hobbit, Tolkien wanted to get back to the Silmarillion and they're like, we want more Hobbits. And so he wrote this sequel with more Hobbits, but it gradually became a sequel to the Silmarillion because that's really what he wanted to write about. Right. Um, But the Hobbit parts of the Lord of the Rings are some of the best. They're great. I know. I know. They're so good. They're they're the, the ones that are most grounded in a like relationship reality of like, this is how people talk to each other. No, and I, I think they're great POV characters for exactly. the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so. um, but I think that's kind of like their main You're in, into the myth and you're into the, yeah. the epic, which is definitely a, a story of men. And, and the hobbits are intentionally an anachronistic uh, intrusion totally. into the myth. Yeah. Which I enjoy that uh, juxtaposition, but it's still... A lot of people, what they love about Tolkien's writings is, is hobbits, hobbits in particular. Yeah. You know, it's just not my scene. So I was a little apprehensive. But again, I just, I really loved this whole storyline. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I appreciate that the showrunners of this show are kind of diverting from something that Tolkien really did a ton in his work, which was obsess over the point of view of who the historian he was, like the perspective of the historian he was writing from mm-hmm was um so he like has massive gaps in knowledge of his writings because he was creating a history for a a a world that was real to him in in certain respects yeah um i'm glad they've diverted from that and they're like no this is like what was happening this isn't yeah it's not as like a perspective as self-limiting as tolkien himself yeah yeah so Um, i i really appreciate that because it makes for better television (laughs) yeah exactly another thing i really was looking forward to and was not disappointed by at all was celebrimbor i thought of all the legacy characters that we know from the lore i think he's the most instantly kind of recognizable not in a like physical sense i guess i'm still not crazy about his look but (laughs) but like instantly he was talking about feanor and trying to rival his works and you see this kind of uh, distaste for his family. Like, they just brought war here. I'm trying to create beauty. I think they just nailed him from the get-go. Yeah. And and, and as brief of a scene that he is in. Yeah, I, I think that 
we are getting a really good foreshadowing of of kind of what his path is going to be. Right. Um, he's very driven, kind of obsessive. <laughs> um, and, and also kind of playing his cards close to his chest. He's not like revealing all to Elrond, which yeah. kind of hints he's maybe a little manipulative, yeah, uh, which I like. And I, I like um, something in that scene where he, he gives Elrond these blueprints for this forge that he wants to be built. The first thing that Elrond says when he sees it, a tower. And he's, he's really like, it's not a positive response he has in that like split second. Yeah. Uh, it's very much like, what do you mean? Like you're building a giant tower. You know, the, the blueprints do just look like this big scary tower that like, you know, if yeah. you've dealt with anything in Lord of the Rings, towers are kind of weird places. <laughs> They're like a consolidation of power and often uh, associated with Sauron and, and darkness in, in Lord of the Rings, at least. Yeah, like, I mean, what it reminded <laughs> me of was like kind of more uh, biblical illusions, like the Tower of Babel, mm, like, mm-hmm. you know, this pride of trying to reach these great uh, heights, but like, and then flying too close to the sun. Well, and I the even hi- think the, about... The higher you build your tower, the easier it is to, for it to fall. Like, I'm I'm thinking about good towers that exist in Lord of the Rings. What happens in those towers? Denethor goes up, looks into the Palantir, and like, loses True. his mind. You know, like, you know. good things don't happen in towers in Lord of the Rings. Interesting. Even if I've never were, thought about it like that, but yeah, I guess even you're right. if they were originally great, it's like you fall from towers, you know. Yeah. So like Turgon, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I think there's like a to to me that's what it reminded wow, me. I've of just never really even thought about that before, but I guess that's pretty true. <laughs> yeah, like all of the greatest places. I mean, the safest place to be is is on the ground and under the ground. <laughs> In Lord of the Rings, the f- yeah. higher you get off the ground, like the more likely some evil shit is about yeah. to go down. But, but not digging too deep either. Yeah, not digging um, too deep. You've just got to be like Hobbit level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should we transition now into our criticisms? <laughs> okay, yeah, let's get into it. We've talked plenty about what we like. Um, still have plenty to get to. Yeah, so again, it's not that I hate this show. I'm going to watch all of it. But I'm not here. I wasn't put on this earth with this brain. I didn't create this podcast to just be really excited that they made a show. And here's, here's like, I understand this isn't a critique against anyone who just wants to enjoy the show and, like, have fun. But we have to examine the standpoint from which we just applaud any adaptation being made of stuff that we like. Because that means that we're like desperate and that we're at the mercy of these giant companies to like deign to make good content. And the fact that they can like get by doing often because there's such a fan base for these things, they can get by doing the least when they should be doing. the Yeah. Most. And there are a lot of a lot of examples. I think of a lot of fans doing just a ton of work, a ton of work. Stop uh, doing to work make for up companies. for some mediocrity. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I don't think this show is an example necessarily of that. But yeah. I, I mean, when they released the soundtrack and people immediately started trying to predict who, which character was Sauron based on themes. Yeah, it's and, like this and is all out of context. And we have no idea. You just sort of you like, gotta wait. <laughs> wait for it. You know, like often the stuff that comes into 
fans' minds and all of the conspiracies they create are much more creative than the actual shows themselves. So everyone, just hold on to your hats for a little bit. And I feel a little red right now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you do this. I'm just here to advocate for demanding what you want from these giant companies because they have these giant budgets and we don't we don't need to be like writing fan fiction for them. Yeah. <laughs> so that being said, let's get into it. The, uh, the real the meat of it. I can see you just you can't wait to get into this. This is my favorite thing to do is bitch <laughs> about <laughs> media. So yeah. And well, I just want to say, like, I've been uh, approaching this with a very open mind. And I think some of the hate and has been so oh, premature and, and so, really based on stupid stuff. And I've just been saying, like, <laughs> let's just, yeah, exactly. Like, let's just wait and let's see. And well, now that we've seen, I, I do have complaints. Oh, yeah. Um, so, okay. Starting with the prologue. I did not like how long Galadriel was narrating for. It's kind of. It's more than what I needed, and I hated the montage. Well, here's the thing. I <laughs> I liked the brevity with which they approached sure. the War of the Silmarils yeah. and all that. My my problem is <laughs> they, they didn't mention the Silmarils. They didn't mention the Valar. Or, they, they don't mention the elves leaving Valinor. Or that they're going against the will of the Valar. And I actually reread Appendix A. And the thing that gets me is I'm aware of the limitations placed on them by the rights. Yeah, so I'm yeah. you know, open-minded to them working around that. What I don't get is when they have the rights to something and they choose not to use it when they're working off of such limited material. <sighs> and in Appendix A, it does mention that Feanor led the Noldor into exile against the will of the Valar. And... I have a feeling <laughs> they're just like, are like, that's like just, this is too much to overload them with. But I'm like, I, I think it's actually just more confusing by keeping it so vague. Well, like, I, I don't even know if vague's the right word. I felt like the whole thing was like whitewashed of just like, oh, we went to war with Morgoth. It's like, that's not why you left Paradise at all. It's like, so not the reason that elves were back in Middle Earth. And it bugs yeah. the shit out of me. Like, that... Made and, me angry. Well, I just think if nothing else, we need to know that there are other beings in Valinor that are godlike and the elves are defying the gods. Yes. It is an exit from paradise. They're exiled. You know, I mean, it, well, it's, it's very much like Lucifer's rebellion of angels Absolutely. in heaven and leaving it to come back to the earth. It's such um, it's such an integral part of the elves story and like the whole morality of their tale yeah that i can't imagine and well getting into those three themes the lingering of the elves yeah um again against the council of the valar and remaining out of their own pride okay we see that with the galadriel but we don't it seems like all of the elves just went to middle earth uh for this very good thing to defeat morgoth and bullshit it's such bullshit Ah, uh, I really don't like that. And then they mention the Silmarils and Feanor later with Celebrimbor. Yeah, they do. But it just kind of, like, I think that's almost more confusing for the casual viewer because they're just name dropping well, shit. Well, because Elrond's like, so much pain. They've caused, you know, so much beauty and so much pain. And it's sort of like, go into that. That's like the whole, what the, I thought that's what the prologue was supposed to exactly. be Exactly. So I'm like, why didn't they talk about Feanor and the Silmarils and Morgoth stealing the Silmarils? In the prologue, 
I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, find, like, I found it really weird. It's like the elves leaving Valinor to fight Morgoth. Yeah, that's like a reason they leave. But it's like they are defined. I don't know. It, it changes the whole tone of it, right? I also, another big complaint I had was the editing and yeah. um, the pacing. And it really almost did feel like to me like the prologue was longer and they just cut it down and slapped mm-hmm. a narration over it. And I'm just like... I don't know. I I really do wish they showed more of Feanor leading the elves into exile against the will of the gods. I just I had a lot of frustration with the fact that like so so we saw that montage in some of the trailers. Yeah. And it was very exciting because when I saw it in the trailer, I was like, "Oh, you know, I'm sure we're not going to get a ton of that stuff, but like uh, the, the fact that we're getting these little clips, like maybe we'll have flashbacks kind of interspersed throughout the story yeah. of these, you know, big scenes. Like, and it, then it was like, oh no, it was literally the montage from the trailer is the prologue, which just feels disgusting to me. I just like, I can't, I can't abide by it. It's bad. Yeah. It's a bad choice. Um, it was just a little some things were a little too glossed over and again i'm i'm all here for the brevity of it and like again appendix a i think perfectly lays out right it says feanor was the greatest craftsman he made the three silmarils out of the two trees morgoth destroyed the trees stole the silmarils against the will of the valar feanor led them into exile yeah and here it's just morgoth destroyed the two trees we don't even know why they're important no. Um, there's no hint that the sun and the moon came from them either. I almost want none of the information. Yeah, I like rather than what that a was. Trickle of and it. it's just like again that we see the two trees, and within like five seconds of seeing them, they're destroyed. So we don't even get a chance to really know why they're that important and their relationship to the Silmarils. I just, I just I, think it's more confusing. I wish that like we saw all of that without. Gloadriel's narration and like we didn't yeah. see these like flashes of uh what seems to be a flash of the kinslaying even though it's like suppose I don't know like all of it's glossed as like the war with Morgoth and it's sort of like which I like that it's the lead up to that that I was like wait you just recontextualized the entire thing and that also affects later the elves lingering in Middle Earth, which is how Sauron ensnares them. I think what I get frustrated about so that's a big issue for me is like when you're reading the Silmarillion, yeah, the whole thing is about a war with Morgoth. It's like a really slow war, and like most of the war isn't fought on battlefields. Most of the war is like we have to like maintain our hope. We have to like live on and like yeah it's about resistance it's about like hiding and resistance and like there's only a few all out battlefield battles and watching that intro you're like oh they're in a war and it's like that's just not how it how it feels when you when you read about it at all it feels like a like a centuries long struggle (laughs) yeah another thing that i just found a weird choice that was kind of unnecessary is Finrod's death and how it motivates Gladriel. Yeah. Because here's the thing, like I don't expect them to get all into the Baron and Luthien tale. Again, I, I appreciate that brevity that how they approached a lot of that. And I think it was, it would be fine if they were just like, and during the war, my brother was captured and killed by Sauron, which is true, but they make a point to be, 
he was hunting Sauron after the war and 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 now his he vowed to hunt him down but Sauron found him first and now his vow is mine Which I think they- it could have just been he was captured and killed I want revenge I don't know why they needed to overcomplicate it's, it because I don't think that's going to come back up again. No, and it's also just like again, it's a mischaracterization of of what like I think I mean, and not that the characterization of Finrod really matters to this story, but like his whole deal is that he's like oath bound and yeah. ends up dying, kind of like not because he wanted to be there, but because he he because is of his a, friendship an, with the houses of men. Yeah, yeah, and he is an honorable elf, and like yeah, I that's just, a, again, it, it's a very weird gloss over over what really happened. Again. Given how good he was, and I mean, I hope it's just he's not in this show just for that one scene. Um, I'm maybe <laughs> wishing, you know, against hope, but um, I I hope there's more flashbacks to come to flesh his whole thing out a little bit more because I was left pretty unsatisfied with that. And to me, it just seems like such an unnecessary change. Like, you can still have Galadriel hunting down Sauron in uh, revenge for her brother's death. I just don't know why you needed to make... Like, if you're going to just gloss over it, just be like, yeah, he was captured and killed during the war. Yeah. I think that's very believable for anyone. And then you don't even need to get into Baron and Luthien. Yeah, there there were a few things like that where they're kind of like writing outside the lines in a way that's sort of like uh, weird. Just, yeah. Just and, like, why? And again, I'm down for them to flesh out the details of what they do have access to and to take creative license on extrapolating a lot of this stuff. But what I'm not really here for is just them like, contradicting and for like no real need to so this is Um, actually i think this points to a larger theme of overcomplication that i took issue with literally in every scene other than harfoot stuff there's a lot of like what for me felt like unnecessary conflict of a Mm. very low level and consternation between a lot of different characters In a way that was just like, okay, I get it. Like, different people have different views on things. Or like, oh, there's these long-seated issues between different people. But, like, everyone's just so angry with each other. And, like, in a way that feels really, like, passive-aggressive and, like... Like, it feels fake. it just feels like they decided to write the show, all right, there's going to be tensions between elves and men. And they like they just approached it, and it's like just taking it for granted. But we need to see a little bit more of like totally. I I really um, like the idea of the Southlanders arc, and about how these are descendants of men sure. that fought with Morgoth. The Silmarillion tells us that the elves do not forget it, um, and we see that them kind of holding on to that grudge. And we know that Sauron whips up anti-elf and Western sentiment within the South and the East. And so I, I see that kind of uh, building, and I, I appreciate that. But again, I wish we saw... I mean, as far as I saw, Arondir seemed pretty respectful to the people. Uh, Arondir was beyond respectful. And um, I, I needed to see... I, I want to see like that shitty watch warden interacting with them. Yeah. To get more of a sense of, like, why do they hate the elves? I mean, I get no one wants, like, kind of a cop over your shoulder. The way that the Southlanders respond to Arondir is as if the elves are like every time they're coming into town they're like taking women or like punching men or like eating animals that they're not they have no claim to like it's like a 
American colonist versus redcoat kind of vibe, which yeah. like I'm totally here for. But those scenes make me feel like the humans are the racist ones against elves for nothing, just because they're elves. And I'm supposed to feel bad for the elves. But like the elves are the ones occupying the space. And and yeah. I, I just want to see a little bit more of why those tensions are high and not like... Yeah. A really calm and cool collected elf who's like the nicest guy. Yeah. I feel like they just kind of like dropped us into this dynamic, which again, I like the dynamic, but like, and then they're just like, just, just accept it and, and go with it. And yeah. I'm just like, but I would like to see a little more of that fleshed out. It just, um, it just felt like the, the humans, I, I just, why would I care about them? And I should, I should care a little yeah. bit or understand a little bit of their, their plight, you know? and and see why they could easily fall right because Mm -hmm. at this point it's just like oh they're bad well again they (laughs) glossed over so much of the prologue that again i think that's a point where you can show the evil of men yeah um but they didn't so uh it's like i don't even think it based on that prologue it didn't even seem like there were any men involved at all Um, yeah totally so which is a major part of the silmarillion Mm -hmm. so um, Weird. I mean, they have this like nod to Baron and Luthien. We see a statue of Luthien. Yeah, and I think that was more just for the fans. You um, know. But yeah, we don't really get a feel for the fact that like there were multiple groups of humans. Some fought with the elves. Some did not. Um, yeah. At least we haven't gotten to that point yet. That that yeah. might be fleshed out more. Yeah. Again, maybe on. I'm just like being a little impatient. Um, but well, uh, I I just uh, think those scenes kind of yeah. came off really strange well i try to keep in mind uh one thing is you know not all of the uh flashbacks to the second age in the lord of the rings movies happened in the prologue right there's later like conversations between like gandalf and elrond and rivendell where then we see a sealed door refusing to cast the ring into the fire so like maybe i'm just being a little overly hopeful but i do hope we're going to get more flashbacks or more fleshing out of like the past and how it led to this state but I'm afraid right now that it's just like, this is the setup, just go with it. And uh, it's just going to continue from there, but not show how we kind of got here. Um, so Yeah, I think that's going to be especially important with Celebrim Boar's arc. Um, right. It really is very important to me that we see, we understand more about Feanor and his fall from grace. Yeah, and again, I'm really encouraged by the fact that his first real scene with him, they instantly got into that. It was like, Here's Feanor's hammer that forged the right. Silmarils. Yeah. Which again, I'm like, why is this not in the prologue? Um, yeah. To contextualize the war with Morgoth. Yeah. I found that a weird choice to leave out. But while we're talking about kind of these uh, tensions that we're not too uh, happy with, Ugh. let's maybe talk about uh, Gilgalad and Galadriel. Oh my God. I. Which this is probably one of my least favorite parts. So, first of all, I think it's really funny. I. I... I mean, I have a very elf critical like mindset in reading these books. As you should. I think um, Tolkien's pretty critical of the elves yeah, and their and, and so uh, it's desires. Like, I think it's funny because like, you know, the Peter Jackson movies are like, the elves are beautiful so and wonderful and, and perfect. Everyone else is racist and the elves <laughs> yeah. are so wise. And it's like pretty stupid. It's like, I don't know. I, I just don't buy into it. So I'm already pretty elf critical. I fucking hate most of these elves. Most of these elves are like the worst of the things that I don't like about elves. Um, Arondir and Galadriel are like exceptions to yeah. this rule. Um, they're pretty cool. You know, they're they're what I see the good in for yeah. elves. The This shit, 
with Gil-galad telling elves when they can go to Valinor? What? To me, this is like a big departure from the lore because it's like all of the elves are free to leave now at any now that the war is over they're free to leave whenever they want they're the supposed Valar to the want them to come back post haste and like, well also it's like the fact that Gilgalad has the authority to be the one in deciding that it's gross and, i i it's just it's sacrilegious well to, to me, me it just it, that's like the biggest departure so far it's, from the it's lore absolutely is, blasphemous it's because like, also i'm like the whole lingering of the elves again is such one of the major themes and like their pride and again we see that with galadriel a jumping ship and refusing that but it's like that's what all the elves in linden should be is like no we're not going yeah and this is how yeah. sauron is able to ensnare them well so, it also sets up I, this I think it sets major implications down the road, too. It sets up this really weird dynamic between Gil-galad and Elrond versus Galadriel, where she's somehow, like, shirking her duty by staying in Middle-earth. Meanwhile, they're just planning to stay and fucking make the Rings of Power. So, like, it's like, what? That's yeah. It just blows my mind. It, it, and I think... If, you know, if I didn't know any of the lore, if I didn't realize, like, that any elf king saying, like, I'm the authority who tells you when to go to heaven or not. Yeah. Like, if I didn't realize how fucking wrong that is, maybe I would just be like, okay, I, I, I it's an, an easy gloss to mm-hmm. accept. It's kind of this, like, already wrote conflict between them of, like, upstart woman who doesn't want to do what she's told and like male leaders who think she's like crazy you know that's what it feels like they're playing off of but like knowing the lore i just cannot i cannot abide by what is happening there it's it's wild i I mean i just like again i know galadriel is supposed to be the one perceiving this evil returning but i i just wish you know it seems like in the lore that they're all kind of like no there's still work to do here yeah. Um, well, why else? Why else? Would- but but now it just seems like they're just not allowed to leave unless Gilgalad gives them the okay. And I'm just like, what? That's yeah, that not at make all any sense. And again, I wouldn't mind these changes if I felt like they were in service of the greater story. Again, those three themes. But I think this flies in the face of one of those themes totally. of the absolutely the pride of the lingering elves. It's like it seems like they all want to go back, but they just like haven't like earned it from the point of view of Gilgalad. And that also makes Gilgalad seem like a dick, just well, keeping them all there. It's and... also it's also weird, like, it, it brings up a lot of questions for me if, like, Gilgalad is, like, honoring all of these soldiers by sending them off to Valinor. What the fuck is he still doing in Middle-earth? Yeah, again, it's in... like, I need to know, what's his reasoning for staying? What um... What is the whole uh, venture with Celebrimbor? What do they think they're going to get out of that? Yeah, I mean, I guess they're just like, uh, you know, they're trying to heal the ruin of Middle-earth. But again, I don't... Uh, <laughs> just, I just found, again, just too overly contrived to the point where it's just like kind of flying in the face of like the point of what this is supposed to be about. No mention of the Valar or rebelling against the Valar. If the elves are not willingly denying returning to the West, right? then how is Sauron supposed to like kind of play off of this pride if there's no pride there exactly but here's the other thing they've already set up a world in which the elves only left valinor to go fight morgoth and not because they wanted dominion of their own 
Which is a huge departure, right? Well, and like, especially with Galadriel and, um, <sighs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so frustrating for me because I, I think that's a really, um, maybe people think that's like not a cool thing about her character because I mean, it's like it's... a darker trait. But well, I mean, the whole scene in the Lord of the Rings where she rejects the ring, like that's, you that's know, her whole, that's the arc. climax of her arc. So like, and because she could have taken the ring and ruled Middle Earth, which is what she, she, she's wanted all this time. So again, if they have the rights to the Lord of the Rings, I'm just really confused on these instances where they're not actually using it and leaning into yeah. the story. Yeah, it's, um, it's frustrating. I, under, I understand if there's gaps where they don't have the rights and they're working around it. But again, it's just like, why not use what? the material is there. So like, maybe they think that's too complex of an, of a concept of like, these elves are already like acting against the rules and, and like yeah. elves being in middle earth was not the plan. You know, it hasn't been the plan for thousands of years and them staying in middle earth is, is really, you know, looked down upon. Yeah. So I'm just going to say like, right off the bat, the, uh, all the stuff with the prologue and uh, recontextualizing all the elves' journey to Middle Earth. Um, again, I'm fine with them summarizing the War of the Silmarils and just it, it was just a big war. Morgoth was overthrown. The end. I, I'm fine with that. But no. uh, <laughs> but uh, taking out the aspect of the Valar and the elves' relationship to them, um, zero out of ten. And then also <laughs> Gilgalad. Uh, uh, being the one to decide when they can leave and it's apparently only an honor afforded to the greatest of the ones in middle earth and not just that like these are the ones that wanted to stay and these are the ones that wanted to go that they had free will in the matter to just leave whenever they wanted well but is it even that because they're kind of trying to get rid of galadriel well yeah i mean no totally the other elves so weird. the other elves who have been suffering under galadriel's leadership they're like oh sweet we can finally also, go fuck those elves <laughs> yeah. i fucking cannot stand them like yeah they were pretty annoying like what what are you doing are you a warrior or not yeah, uh, the line that really got, you know, I think both of us were, they were like, uh, this is, trail's been dead for hundreds of years, so Sauron must be gone. And Sauron it's like, hasn't been seen. And it's like, the, the rock is boiling water, man. I'm like, the dude's an immortal spirit. Also, uh, you guys are elves. All of you are probably at least 2,000 years old. Like, don't even fucking talk to me. I, I just couldn't stand it. I, I found those elves horribly petulant. And I think I'm supposed to. But yeah, I mean... It, Again, it's just like <laughs> I wanted. We're, we're, we're given absolutely no reason to doubt Galadriel. I um, yeah, she's just obviously in the right, and yeah. so everyone else by comparison looks really dumb. And I just stupid. when they when they all put down their swords in the Arctic, I wanted her to kill all of them <laughs> and like be like, "Cool, I'm on my own now." You know, like I'm yeah, I'm doing. Well, it. that's my other thing too. Is like. Um, I was already skeptical of Galadriel going to Numenor. I was like, I'm going to wait to see how this plays out. But it just felt a little like weird to me. And now, especially seeing the context of her sailing to Valinor, I'm really not into yeah. this. It seemed like an excuse just to get her out in the sea so she can go to Numenor. You didn't like the deus ex machina of like, oh, she is found by the shipwreck uh, and then yeah. they end up being found by someone else. Like, Again, you don't like that. Galadriel going to Numenor is like, that's not like, a breaking of the lore it's just like uh it's a weird addition to the lore uh 
And especially the way they framed it, where it was like she was on the trail for Sauron and she's like, let's continue the trail. Yeah, I wanted to see that. I want to see her arc just being like she's pushing further east, hunting Sauron and will eventually intersect with these other characters. I I just I think it's a weird choice to make her go west. If anyone should go to Numenor, I feel like it should be Elrond. Yeah. Um, due to his the relationship of his brother. Uh, as the first king of Numenor. And I think there's a lot of fun things you could play around with mortality versus immortality with Elrond specifically. Well, William, Elrond's too busy providing comic relief with the dwarves. Oh, yeah, and that's... Uh, I just, hey, did you know that this show is going to be a serious take on the dwarves and they're not going to be comedic relief at all? It's going to be serious. Did you know that? I, I heard that. I... I... <laughs> I feel gaslit. Yeah, dude, that. <laughs> uh, I mean, and that being said, I I didn't mind the doors. I did think that the rock breaking was like just a better kind of more lore attached version of the drinking game between Legolas Gimli, and Gimli and Legolas. Yeah, um, and well, like I like I do kind of see. I guess now having seen it, what they were talking about, I, I liked all the mentions to Aule and yeah. to see. The only Valar that's mentioned. And, um, well, yeah. And, uh, and I liked Disa talking about the resonating, how she speaks Deesa's to the Disa's awesome. Yeah. Her character is really I cool. mean, I thought all that stuff is like, yeah, this is, you know, we we see the dwarves' culture and their relationship seeing, to the stone. Seeing Kaza Doom and to Earth and Aule. wonderful. I, I, I liked all of that. But again, I'm just like, I don't think that makes them more serious just because you went into their culture a little more. I still find them to be comic relief that is unnecessary like i like when i read gimli in the lord of the rings i don't see the same type of dwarf and the way the dwarves no. are described i don't see the same type of dwarves as the hobbit he's very solemn they're solemn they're uh austere and stoic and yeah um and just to make them these like gregarious uh drunkards you know kind of just shit talkers and and bantering it's just like it just doesn't feel like tolkien's dwarves to me it feels like the hobbit dwarves but yeah well um, it barely feels like the hobbit's dwarves thorin is so serious in the book well i I mean oh you mean the the movies i mean outside of thorin um i mean even in the books uh but thorin is way more serious than the rest yeah i guess for sure and again like thorin is more how i see dwarves not like yeah. Feely and Keely well, and Bomber. And, and you know. we're talking about Durin, who is a prince. You this know? is Thorin's ancestor. He's the ancestor. So let's think about Dwarven society and what they accomplish, right? Like compared to the elves, right? The, the elves are pretty organized, but they like love their art. They love their crafting. Um, they love their music, their tales. They love staring up at the stars and seeing yeah. futures and stuff like that. They go on adventures, blah, blah, blah. Dwarves don't do that. Dwarves live in their mountain kingdoms. They work. They work and work and work and work. Yeah, I think they should be like more organized. The elves should be a little. That's what I mean. The elves should be like a little more like frolicking and like not standing around in like perfect circles and like, um, you know, to me. And then the dwarves are just kind of in this big beer drinking hall, just kind of gathered in like a big audience. And I'm just like, I'm like, that's reverse. I'm like, the dwarves should be like in straight lines and like, you know, and. I don't know. I just, I, I've, I've never been a fan of Peter Jackson's um, conception of dwarves. And I feel like they just lifted off of Peter well, Jackson's dwarves. Think, and I'm like, okay. Exactly. I think Deesa is a perfect example of exactly what I want from dwarves. When she describes her and Durin meeting, it's not like 
at a party or drinking beer. It's at work. It's at work. She's working and he just keeps showing up at work. That's because their whole lives are work. That's what they do. Like even in Lord of the Rings, when Gimli sings songs from the dwarves, they're like history songs and working songs. You know, they're not, it's not like the elves. Mm -hmm. It's not like, especially the way we, we know elves in the Lord of the Rings where they're kind of like, Ooh. And especially, I mean, like in the Hobbit, the Hobbit elves are just like tricksters, you know, and they're a lot sillier than, Mm -hmm. than anything else. But yeah, I, I, I'm really frustrated by this idea that the, the dwarves are the partiers. Yeah. Well, I do want to see more of, uh, the king during the third Mm -hmm. because he is more like that's how i picture the dwarves he was a lot more solemn how do you feel about multiple durins being alive at once (laughs) well the showwriters have said that they're aware of that and like they're like hold on like so i'm like okay i'm waiting for an explanation um but i don't like it i mean i have (laughs) seen a theory that like he's actually like during the fourth is hallucinating his father and he's like speaking to him because they share the same spirit which like if that's, that's the cool. case i would love that that would be cool. however it just doesn't really seem like that so i don't know uh but again like i liked his portrayal um but i just wish i'm like why can't all the dwarves be like that like sure they can be a yeah. little less serious than the king but in general, I want the dwarves to be more solemn. Gimli is such a serious character in the book. It really it really seems strange yeah. to me. Anyway, Legolas is the comic relief character I in know. the book. So yeah, those are some of my uh, major complaints. I didn't know if you had anything else you wanted to talk about. Yep. Okay. The hair. Oh, oh. Yeah, I mean, not even story, just aesthetics. This might be petty, but that hair, I don't know what Duran Duran fucking ass... <laughs> Huey Lewis in the news, fucking 1980s wet dream hairstylist is making all of these elves not only have short hair, which I thought was the problem. It's not the problem. No. Because Arondir looks awesome. And I thought even Finrod looked good. Yeah. Uh, in, yeah. The, in the first shots we saw of him fighting the battle in the trailer, I was like, that looks a little weird. But then when we saw him in Valinor with his hair slicked back, I'm like, that's actually a pretty cool, good look. Totally. Um, uh, Elrond? Elrond, Celebrimbor, Celebrimbor, the Watch Warden. What the fuck? I just don't... I mean, that combined yeah. with... I, I don't like their elf ears. Um, I think they're giant. Yeah, I think the prosthetics for the ears are weird, too. Really um, big. I mean, they and, look and the, real, but the they... dwarf noses, I, again, I'm yeah, like... I just little, think it's a little... takes me out of it. Yeah. I just... I don't... I don't understand where that hair design is coming from. They look bad. And, and they look exactly like each other. And, and here's the thing, like, I I want to applaud the kind of the spirit in which this decision was made, which is like, this is not the Peter Jackson movies. There are some similar visual designs, like Gil Gallad, obviously. But um, overall, it's like, we're going to try to do our own thing and not try to be like Peter Jackson. But I'm like, the elves are one instance in which I wish you were more like, did take more cues from Peter Jackson, not the dwarves. And just making the dwarves like his, but making the elves look more, uh, again, I respect the bold choice of just saying, you know what, we're doing our own version and that that's awesome. But I think 
you should have done that with the dwarves and not the elves' hair length and hairstyles. Uh, I think that was like a pretty easy thing you could have just lifted from the Jackson movies and everyone <laughs> would have loved it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. I just, I, I yeah, I just think this It's just a baffling bad. It's weird. decision for me. I'm like... Um, yeah, and I, I totally agree. I mean, yeah, between the dwarf design and the, the elf design like Elrond and Durin side by side I'm like this is I don't like this it just feels very cartoonish and maybe they're trying to make a statement about like how the elves are stuck in the past the 80s (laughs) but but like that being the 1980s is kind of weird for me Gilgalad's mullet and uh and like yeah Gilgalad's mullet I you know I respect it I like it actually um but it is still kind of funny and, and weird looking. Yeah. Um, that was something the Peter Jackson movies did really well. Was like, and it's like again, I, I don't think I would mind one of these elves having that uh, uh, hairstyle. That... Well, especially since Arondir is clearly different from other elves. Yeah, like, yeah. He's a lot more friendly to humans. Well, no, but and... I'm specifically talking about the hairstyle of like Elrond, Celebrimbor, and oh, the Watchboard. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't mind if like one of those guys had that. No. But the fact that there's multiple. Like, seemingly major character elves that look like that? I'm like... They just look too similar. It just makes Elrond look like Celebrimbor's son or something, especially (laughs) with the age difference. Um, Something about that haircut also makes them look like they all have, um, like, thumb heads. Yeah. It just, it changes, like, the shape. Maybe they do have thumb heads, but it really changes the shape of it. I will say I like a lot of the costuming. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish the, the elven soldiers had a little bit more ornate armor there's like one shot that seems really plain and it's like the plainest plate armor and i'm kind of like oh, i think i think there'd be a little more to it than that yeah i really like the armor of arondir and those elves and i think they're, oh yeah i think they're supposed to be sindar yeah i think so too. um and i love like the wooden armor like and... the man of the green man chest plate is really cool yeah and i mean there's been some like kind of fun speculation like is that supposed to be someone is that supposed to be um orme or mm. maybe treebeard cool or um maybe even uh tom bombadil oh wow e- like er wine binadar yeah. the oldest and fatherless um so i'm like there's some cool things to play around with there and i, I really like i love their armor i think it's really cool but yeah, um, overall the costume and stuff, I'm I'm pretty into. Yeah, so I think that's, I mean, honestly, the short version of our likes and dislikes, but the appropriate version for this episode. The final thing we're going to talk about is the stranger. Yeah, kind of one of the biggest mysteries that's been driving fans crazy. Um, <sighs> and again, I know you're the one that's always like, just wait and no, no, no. Like, <laughs> okay, no, I think this is an appropriate mystery for people to have theories about. Yeah. Before you see the show, no, get over yourself. Like, just wait. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, once you see the show and once a character is introduced, definitely. Now, it seems like a lot of people on the internet think that this is Gandalf. And I'm trying to say that without just absolute disbelief in my voice, but... I just I just refuse to think that this is Gandalf. Um well now seeing a little bit of some of the departures from the lore. Um, <laughs> yeah, who I'm, the fuck knows? I'm I'm now a little <laughs> more open. I'm like, I see it, I still don't want it. I, I don't want it. At and all. I don't want it because I still think it is the perfect the more I think about it, I'm like, 
this is perfect for him to be Sauron. Yeah. What we know about Sauron from Tolkien's letters and the Silmarillion and Unfinished Tales is that in the Second Age, he pretended to be an emissary from the Valar. He was anticipating the uh, wizards. He himself was a wizard and a sorcerer in the First Age. Mm Mm-hmm. There's also a really great uh, line in one of Tolkien's letters where he says that, you know, in his earlier incarnation, he was able to cloak his power as did Gandalf. Right. So again, any kind of indication that, oh, this guy obviously seems like Gandalf. I'm like, well, that's also what Sauron appeared as. That also helps strengthen the argument that he's Sauron. (laughs) Um, So I think a lot of people are expecting kind of, again, more the fanfic, the... uh, The sexy twink. yeah, Yeah, yeah. The sexy Sauron. And who's... You know, even if this is Sauron, he can still later change his form into that. Or also, we maybe need to re-examine what Tolkien meant by... Fair form. Fair form. Um, I mean, and like, let me be real. I love seeing Sauron as like just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Yeah, oh, man. I think it's a great... Uh, I, I love It's a great that. idea. Um, um, that is totally my thing. But here are some indications to me that this character is not Gandalf. Yeah. Um, as much as he might look kind of like Gandalf and is wearing like a grayish robe and, and is with the Harfoots who are our Hobbit analogs. And he's associated with fire. And he's associated with fire. Okay, the first thing, the fire is not hot. That's something that Nori remarks on. And that's something that we've seen earlier in the episode. Well, it was like the evil of Sauron like was it doesn't leave any warmth. Yeah. So, um um the the elves can't feel their torch heat when they're in Sauron's like orc meeting place, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um and despite there being like a lot of fire, it's it's yeah. Um so that's a big indication to me. The other thing is that the interactions that the stranger has with Nori from the very beginning. To me, what I read in in what he's trying to do is that he's trying to like bend her to his will and he cannot. Yeah. Um every day like he looks at her and like will start chanting or like yelling. And yeah. it seems like he's trying to like force dominion over her and cannot, which we know of the hobbits. That they are especially resistant to Sauron's evil influence. Yeah, they're they're pretty impervious to his dominion. Um, then he breaks Nori's father's leg, which was pretty dark. Like which is pretty I mean, dark. It could have been accidental, and but also weird. It's still just like he's this like, dude is having negative uh, impact. <laughs> he's writing all these runes and she's like, I don't understand what you're trying to say. And we're getting flashing back and forth between that and Nori's father putting up this tent. And then his, his ankle just like snaps Yeah. when, when the stranger snaps a stick yeah. and it feels bad. <laughs> it's a bad moment yeah and then there's also the scene with the fireflies which at first is very like ethereal and beautiful but then all the fireflies die and yeah just i I thought it was very interesting how he was like telling the fireflies where to go he was ordering them in the sky and they're like they die oh and then her friend is like nori like uh." maybe it's a reach but i mean sauron's whole thing is that he's all about order and his desire to order leads to him killing a lot of people yeah so um 
I don't know. It just, it feels, and then here's where I get all in my head about it. I'm like, to me, at least, it feels way too obvious that he's Sauron right. for this to be a mystery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that makes me think maybe it's not. But then I see everyone like, well, he's obviously Gandalf. I'm like, well, maybe it's not obvious to everyone. It so just doesn't that seem makes to me, me think maybe it is. It doesn't um, seem to me like Gandalf at all. I guess like you could interpret all of those moments as like, oh, Gandalf is confused when he first arrives in Middle Earth and he's you know, kind well, of. I don't think he would have this dark connotation really to him. Weird, that's yeah, like, yeah. And I don't know. I I tend to think that it being Gandalf is more lore breaking than it being Sauron. Absolutely. Um, given especially the arrival of him in the middle of the Third Age and by boat. Again, this is something that they have rights to in the appendices: is Gandalf meeting Cirdan at the Havens and yeah. receiving the Ring of Power. I don't know why they would change that, especially in a show about the Rings of Power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I find that would be a very weird choice. Now, granted, he could always get it later, but still, like, why mess that up? Although we've already seen, like, they're already glossing over stuff that they have rights to. So who knows? So I don't like the fact that he would be arriving this early and the fact that he's arriving seemingly by meteor. I think, again, that would just be too overwrought and over, like, why? But with Sauron, I, you know, I've seen some complaints about people be like, well, this is why it can't be him. Um, one is that he's interacting with hobbits. And a lot of people will say, like, he shouldn't know about the existence of hobbits, which I don't think there's actually anything in the books. No. Gandalf says in uh, Shadow of the Past, the first chapter, which uh, the first episode got its name from, that he's like, up till this moment, I think Sauron has overlooked the existence of hobbits. That doesn't mean he doesn't know they exist. Yeah, like, who are we fooling ourselves? Like, th- this is a Maya. He- yeah, and he also doesn't he doesn't know the location of the Shire, and that's a big part of the ring race hunting for the ring. Right. But these hobbits aren't in the Shire yet. They're still way further to the east where they should be. And we also don't know what happens with the story arc. I mean, we might see something that eventually leads him to think that, oh, yeah, those hobbits just kind of faded away from legend, or they all died, or um, if this is Sauron, I don't think it's going to end happily for them. Well, but at the same time, so far, if this is Sauron, everything we've seen is that Nori is impervious to his charms. Yeah, exactly. She's like acting completely, you know, independently of mm-hmm. him. And she she does have this like draw towards him and she wants to help him. Um, but that seems to have more to do with her and like her lacking adventure yeah, in her yeah. life. The other thing, too, that people have pointed out is the whole meteor um crashing to the ground and you know they say that sauron just should have been hiding out in the east anyway uh he was already in middle earth and i think a lot of people are making a lot of assumptions of where is this meteor coming from and this is a problem i kind of have with the editing it just they just kind of dropped suddenly gilgalad's looking up and there's a meteor coming from the sky (laughs) and it was like not clear what direction it's coming from yeah and there was no real um like people hearing something and looking up it was just suddenly there it was but i'll tell you Um, what we can almost completely discount that it wasn't from the west because during those cut scenes where they're all watching the meteor. You think Galadriel would see the meteor. Well, we're also seeing Galadriel in that same moment decide to leave the boat. They, all of these scenes are intercut. Yeah. And she doesn't see the meteor. Yeah. And she's, so, she's as far west as you can be. Yeah. So, again, I don't think it came from outside Middle Earth. And also, we need to keep in mind Sauron's a master of illusions. So, 
I don't know. I don't. I don't see that as a deal breaker for me because we just don't know enough. I think a lot of people are making a lot of assumptions about the meteor, or if it even is a meteor, we just don't know. It doesn't seem to be a meteor. It, um, he's the meteor. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he just launched himself up in wherever he was hiding originally. Maybe he just launched himself up into the sky and crashed back down to make it. You know, we know Sauron can take flight. He turns into a vampire bat and the Silmarillion. He could have just yeah. flown up in the sky and then cast himself down. Well, it's we don't also, know. Well, another thing we know is that, um, you know, and I, I think of this when it comes to the confusion of, of the stranger. Yeah. We know that shape-shifting, like, takes a lot out of a person. Right. You know? And yeah. It takes I, a lot of the these uh, Ainu, uh, their native power right. that they had. And so... Like we know, Sauron's definitely not, you know, by any means diminished by this point in power, but... Yeah, he's still got plenty of his own native power um, left over. But the form he just changed into, if this is him, is going to be the form he's in as he starts to build power. Who knows what he looked like just before this? It could have, exactly. you know, it could have really taken a lot of power and, and he's out of it um, and he's in a different way yeah true or he could just be faking it faking all of it um so we'll just have to see really um and and the other thing too is people are like well he's supposed to be in a fair form like i said we don't know if he's he's not in aragion yet Mm -hmm. that's when he takes on the form of anatar maybe he will take on another form or maybe again tolkien's just idea of fair and beautiful um you know a lot of people have been pointing out he looks like a wizard uh what i think is he looks very much like these uh conceptions of jesus yeah um yeah. and i think to a catholic a fair beautiful noble and wise form would be like jesus christ sure and i think tolkien in the lord does make a lot of allusions to him being this dark inversion of a messiah like a humble form yeah yeah um, um so i again i think this might just be a way to throw off people who have this headcanon idea of sauron as this sexy a beautiful elf man um the other thing i want to point out and maybe this is fan shit you know just doing too much work yeah uh but in the promotional images where they take pictures of everyone's hands the stranger's hands are holding an apple does it get more fucking like i am snake snake. in the garden like than that no absolutely not like poison apple of snow white is also what it reminds me of usually people offering an apple even in twilight where it's like a big symbol it's although we do see uh in one of the trailers he's given that apple by nori sure but 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 they made the choice to take his you know picture holding the apple and and i think that's like i the illusions of that are are pretty strong so yeah. I, and, I just and again, this just gets me in my head. I'm just like, well, that makes <laughs> it obvious. obviously the Sauron. So well, it can't be Sauron. No, as we've realized, it's not very obvious. And a lot of people, yeah. I think, are just like, it's Gandalf because he's kind of yeah. wizardy looking. The other theory is that he might be one of the two blue wizards. Oh, which that Tolkien, would be the worst. That they might be faking all of us out. Uh, again, I hope they don't like try to fake out so much that they like ruin a perfectly good version of Sauron, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Again... I've always, you know, the blue wizards come by boat and they typically come together, the two of them together as yeah. friends. So one of just one of them crashing down it, again, it's a little too outside the lore for me to really take it all that seriously. Another theory is he is Tilion, the, uh, the man who drives like the chariot of the moon, that Maya. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. You know, in the Lord of the Rings, there is a poem that Frodo sings in Bree about, 
you know, the man of the moon uh, came down too soon uh, to have like a beer. And in the poem, they talk about how he crashed the, to Middle Earth like in a meteor. The whole the context is very different. He crashes like in the sea, not further to the east. And yeah, I just I, I just don't. I mean, and I'm just like, I think that's a fun idea. Like maybe he's seen something from the moon and he's like coming to warn us. And I think you could play around with that. It could be interesting. And I just think if he's not Sauron and he's not like Tillian, he's like just a made up precursor to the wizards who's going to go back and report things. But again, all the scary connotations to him. Uh, just Sauron vibes. I just, uh, I'm just going to be upset if this is a big fake out. Cause I think it's, it's I think it, it lines up with the lore. Yeah. Um, and I think the parts that, kind of don't seem to line up with the lore like the meteor again we don't have enough information yet i think the other to dismiss it the other thing that all brings up if he's not sauron is who is sauron have we met sauron yet a lot of people seem to think halbrand is sauron um just based on his theme music um and well the fact that he's handsome yeah and he's got secrets i don't think sauron would be shipwrecked just to like hang out and find Galadriel. Well, again, and I don't, I don't want Sauron going to Numenor before he later goes back to, you know, would go to Numenor to corrupt them. Yeah, um, he needs he should... to be with Celebrimbor first, right? Yeah, or at least like Farazan needs to like go want, to Middle Earth yeah, and yeah, be like, he was, yeah, exactly, challenge him for yeah, supremacy right. of Middle Earth, and so <laughs> totally. he would already have to openly be Sauron. So, right. um, I'm really not about Halbrand being. Uh, Sauron. That's the only theory that I dislike. I think maybe more or at least equal to Gandalf being the stranger. Um, uh, and I typically find that they're the same people that that think Gandalf is a stranger, think Halbrand is Sauron. And I'm just like, nope. I just I think I think he's a spy of Sauron's. The other thing we talked about is the potential that Sauron has already like gathered his power and is existing elsewhere in the world. Yeah, and I've seen not some people say that he might already be in a Regeon guiding Celebrimbor's efforts, right. which I think would be really interesting. Yeah. But then again, I'm like, well, then who's the stranger? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, well, we'll just have to see, I guess. But um, a lot of fun things to speculate on. What are you kind of looking forward to going forward with the rest of this season now? I mean, I know I said I don't hate this show, but like, I don't have a lot of hope for it i I think i was pretty the disappointments even though they're very slight but the lore kind of yeah and i will say i liked the second episode a lot more than the first one yeah definitely so again hopefully it gets a little more there for me personally i i still feel like something's missing and i think for me that's numenor again the third uh yeah. The third leg of this tripod I, of the second age. I think I'm excited for the conflict to become real and not just these stupid petty arguments yeah, between yeah, people. That real. just annoys me. Yeah, we're still kind of in the early stages and we see where the story's heading. But again, without Numenor, there's part of me that just, I have all these criticisms, but I want people to know, like, I still feel like I haven't seen the full picture to judge yet. Once, oh, yeah. once we get Numenor involved, and then we can, like, again, examine those three themes and how they're playing out. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I mean, I'm going to watch all of it. So I, I just, I, I never have a lot yeah. of hope when I'm watching shows yeah. like this. I, I, I just don't. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like, I, I've been a little skeptical about some of the plot lines we've seen, even leading up to watching it, like Galadriel going to Numenor and 
Elrond being sent as an ambassador to, you know, the dwarves of Khazad-dûm. And um, there's just been some things I'm like, okay, these are additions to flesh stuff out. And I'm willing to watch that. But everything we've seen from Numenor, I've really been into. And it's very recognizable to me with, you know, my own headcanon. And again, that is such a huge part of the second age so it's hard for me to judge this show based around the second age when we haven't even seen Numenor yet I'm hoping for more epic stuff and less um Elrond and Durin kind of yeah just kind of again these like small bickerings yeah I just I just uh, don't care like I I mean maybe that's shitty but like yeah I just don't care at this point I mean but again the the big things like Galadriel being like evil's return of the elves being like you're crazy I'm like I haven't quite been thrilled with how they've done that either. So Oh no. I mean, but it's like Galadriel's killing it. No, yeah, I just great. I just want to watch her really is 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 it, I think. Okay. Well, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast uh wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also follow us on Twitter at half as well pod. Or you can find us at half as well podcast.com. We will have an episode out next week, right after episode three. How many episodes are there? There are eight episodes a season. Eight episodes. Okay, wow. Five seasons. Five seasons? What the fuck? I had no idea. Five seasons? Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, my God. That really shifted my whole perspective on this show. Oh, it's going to be slow as fucking molasses. Yeah. Oh. Oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> I almost wish each season was like four episodes. Like... Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, also, the episodes are 60 minutes long. Okay. Well, we'll end this episode by saying that's ridiculous. Um, oh, you're not going to cut all that up. No. five seasons okay i'm sage and i'm william and this is half Half as as well. well